Well, good morning. Quite obviously, I am not Jacob Smith. If you are normally here, he's a little bit taller than me. Um, and his table is so big and hefty. It's incredible. But my name is Lane Malikian. It's a terrible last name. Imagine being my wife. I have answered this question a little bit this morning. The way that I know Jacob um, is I was a youth leader when he was just a chump youth minister at Southwood. And I met him and served in youth ministry there for a little bit. Um, and then he graduated to the big leagues into college ministry. And he mentored me in preaching and things of that sort. His wife mentored my wife. He did my wedding. And so when he called and said, hey, around this date... I'm going to be having baby number three. Um, will you come in and fill for me? I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, if you're going to have a third kid, you're a warrior of our time. So I'll for sure handle the stage for you, man. Um, so the good news is, too, if you're new with us this morning um, and you, you don't enjoy me, come back after spring break because Jacob's really great. It'll be good for you. Give it a second try. Um, and you'll never have to see me again. It'll be awesome. But I... I went to Texas A&M. I graduated in December of 2014. Um, so just a, a little bit ago, not too long ago. And afterwards, went into youth ministry. I've been at a couple different churches um, and served in some different places. But me and my wife, and we now have uh, one child, a little girl. She's three months old. Her name is Emery. She's named after one of my favorite bands when I was a kid, which is like me living my 16-year-old dream. It's incredible. Um, and we, we came in last night, and we were, we were just so excited come to College Station. We're like, let's, let's go walk around campus, see the school that it's like we never went to because every building is new since we've been here. All that construction they started, they've now finished and started new construction. That's beautiful. Chain link fences everywhere, right? And so we're walking around and, and we're like those people that when you're trying to like get to the MSC to study and that kind of stuff, you're like, who are the people walking their baby around campus? Because like you forgot that babies existed during your time in college. And like you hear a cry and you're like, something's dying. Like all of us, like you're concerned. And so we're pushing her around campus and we're, we're just like unbelievably nostalgic. Okay, the things that you think, um, like right now you're like, oh, I'm going to miss this. It's not those things. It's going to be the weirdest things in the world. So we're walking through campus and we'll be like, oh, you see that bench? It's a good bench. I love that bench. She's like, you waited on that bench every day for me after class. I'm like, I did. That's because I was a better boyfriend than I am a husband. And I was like, it's it's fantastic. She, she's over there like, oh man, she, go sit on that bench. Take a picture on that bench. I'm like, oh, okay. And so we're, we're those people walking around that are take, videoing us going under the century tree. I'm just sitting there like, this coffee needs to be bigger. And that's, that's who we are. And going around, and so we just begin to have conversations. Memories that we're like, oh man, remember this? You remember this? And I'm like, no, I've tried to block it all out. Um, it's, it was a rough ride, college. And we... We get to different places, and so I'm beginning to remember all of my time at A&M, and, and I remember my very first day on campus. I didn't grow up in Aggie. My parents didn't go to college. They um, no tradition here. I was actually born in Arkansas, and so kind of grew up a, a University of Arkansas fan. I got saved, don't worry, and, um, and so I uh, kind of ended up here through some different circumstances. And I remember like being excited for college. And here's the deal. No one in high school who's like getting ready for college, no one is sitting there and is like, I cannot wait to take business calculus. Like, oh, it's going to be so good. I can't wait to be in a lecture hall. I love academia. Like no high school senior ever has had that hope. No, like when we get excited about college, what we're thinking about is all of the new things that are on the horizon, the, the relationships that we'll build, like all of the things that happen in high school. It's like new start 
new people, new people to be friends with, new people to date, assuming that they like me, like all of these new things that are going to be there. We get excited about who we might meet or what we might do or what that might look like. And I remember being in the first day we've moved in. My dad has left. My family has left. And I'm sitting in my dorm room in Walton. Um, oh man, there were some Walton guys in the first one. That was so good. Uh, and I, I had to apologize because I like slept in Walton, but that was about it. Um, and so I'm sitting in my tiny, tiny dorm room that even my core buddy walked into and was like, dude, you got the shaft living here. I was like, I know, it's rough. And I'm at this table underneath my bed in the smallest room that I've ever been in. And I remember just sitting there and being like, so like, what do I do now? Like, classes don't start for a week. Like, I'm just staring at my phone like, maybe a counselor will text me. Please, please let them text me. And I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, man, what do I do? And I grew up in a town that a lot of people in the town that I grew up in would come to A&M. And so I was like, okay, well, I can text like all my old high school friends and it'll be great. I can do the last four years over again in a whole other town. That's awesome. And I was like, but, but I want to meet new people. I want to do new things. And I had this great desire in me that was just excited. Man, I, I can't wait for relationships. I was, I was a kid that like I would not go to eat anywhere on campus by myself because I was like, that is wrong and sinful. So I, I would like go and like pick up Chick-fil-A and just eat on the go in fear of being alone. Like I was like, you just got to be around people all the time. Like I never studied because I was like, I can't sit in my dorm room. And st- like I had FOMO before FOMO existed. Like I was like, I just got to be around people. I wanted those relationships. I wanted those things. And, and we really desire relationships. Like even the most introverted of us wants some sort of relationship, wants to be known. And even the most extroverted of us has some sort of anxiety about building relationships. Like it's this thing that we so deeply, deeply desire is also incredibly difficult. Especially when we go into college because you've got 18 years of living that you've done that nobody else around you knows about. And yet you shuffle onto the fish camp bus or the impact bus and you begin to try and figure out what it's like to build a connection and you sit next to that person and you go, so like, what's your major? What do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, I don't know. Engineering makes money. Let's do that, right? <laughs> Let's jam. And then you meet the one kid who's like, I'm an RPTS major. And you're like, you hate yourself. Good. I was an RPTS major. It's okay. Uh, and you're like, then you try to figure out, how do we get past surface-level conversations? How do we, what is, is this person that I'm sitting next to on this bus, like, are they going to be there at the, like, 2 a.m. pancake party at so-and-so's house, which is a weird thing that only happens in college and doesn't exist outside of this world? Like, like what kind of relationships am I going to build? And I'm, I'm walking into a culture that for the one time in my life, there's an entire city that is built around appeasing 18 to, like, 26-year-olds, depending on what victory lap you're on or how many degrees you're coming for, right? And, and it's, it's like relationship building in a microwave. And so it's like, man, it, it's intended for you to meet people, to meet new people. And yet even then we go, how do, how do I even like start this conversation? How do I walk away from this conversation? I, what does it look like to build these relationships? And I, I like realized this pretty quickly when I was trying to figure out what that would look like for me and my wife is someone um, that she's like one of those people that's like, she wants to go have like that three hour coffee break, just one-on-one and like everybody pours out their soul and you leave and it's like you met Jesus for the first time. And, and I'm like sitting there, I'm like, I don't want to sit down for three hours with anyone. Uh, like I can't watch a movie that's three hours long and it's meant to entertain me. Like I'm not sitting next to another person. That's exhausting. 
But even then, I still want, like, I want people to know who I am. I want to be able to connect with them. I want to be able to love them. It's something inherently in me. And so wherever we are out on the spectrum, we've got to figure out, I mean, what do relationships look like? And, and why are they so difficult? Why, why is there so much tension when I try to do that? And then, if we're Christians, if we're in the church, it's almost like relationships get more difficult, right? Because, because being a part of the church is like being on a never-ending first date. Okay, and what I mean by that is my freshman year, when, when Haley and I first met, and we were just friends, this is what I looked like. And, oh my goodness. So I, would, I, w- I wore jeans all the time, and that's another story in, in and of itself. And when it started to get hot, because it's college station, and it's like walking on the surface of the sun three miles across campus, I, didn't wa- I couldn't like afford to go buy shorts, so I just took my jeans from the winter and cut the bottoms off. Um, and I was like, jorts, man, this is where it's at. I was ahead of my time. And I had slip-on vans because I'm too lazy to tie shoes, but, but I had worn a hole through the entire front of both pairs of shoes because of the stupid cobblestone walkways across campus that you trip over 17 times in between buildings. And instead of just buying new shoes like a normal person, listen, vans like aren't super expensive. Um, I just grabbed a roll of duct tape and duct taped the fronts of my shoes closed. And I would go to class like that, and I wore a tank top everywhere I went and a hat that was a bunch of different colors that never matched. And she still married me. It's awesome. (laughs) But here's the deal. When we met, we were just friends. There was no intention of romance, even on my mind. But the moment that we went on a first date, guess what shoes I did not bring? Duct tape vans. Right, because when you're on a first date, like, you bring the best of yourself. You're coming up with the best stories. Like, all of a sudden, you're a hometown hero from where you came from. You're like, I've accomplished great things. I've written many books. It's, It's incredible. Right, like you break out that one, guys, you go to that like deep in your closet and you're like, here's this one button down shirt that my grandma bought me one time and you don't have an iron so you just throw it in the dryer 17 times hoping they get beaten out of it. And, and you, you go on this date and it, I mean, and if you're believers, you're just like, oh man, just tell me about your heart for God so I can decide if I'm going to marry you in the next 72 hours. <laughs> I've got to figure it out. But here's, here's what you don't do. Like, you don't go into date number one and you, like, finish your meal in two and a half minutes and you burp three times on the way through and you, like, yell at the waiter and you tip real low. You don't do those things. That's date three. Okay, like, you don't, you don't, and date one, you don't come out swinging with the worst of yourself because you won't get a date two. And if you're sitting next to somebody that that's the version of yourself that you gave on date one and they're still with you, marry them. Um, because they know Jesus way better than you ever will. Uh, it's just incredible. And so sometimes being in church kind of feels like that, right? Because we have that moment, we walk in and they're like, hey, welcome to Grace College. How are you doing today? You're like, oh, blessed and highly favored. I had a... I had a three-hour quiet time this morning. That's why I came to the 11 o'clock and not the early one because I had to spend personal time with Jesus for at least half my morning. Like, you're the holiest version of yourself, right? It's like you're reading cue cards of signs that you ripped off from Hobby Lobby every time you talk to someone when you walk into the church. And then you begin to look around and you go, oh, and I, like you begin to see people through that lens. And you're like, oh man, well, we're all the, we're all the church people, right? I work in youth ministry. I'm the youth pastor at First Baptist in Marble Falls. 
And it's so awesome uh, when like a kid messes up or something happens. That part's not awesome. But what we say about them is awesome because we go, oh, but they're the church kids. And I'm like, yeah, they're the worst ones. Like, because they're the ones that we don't know. Right? Like everybody else is just living honestly. But the rest of us, they walk in. And so you only get this version of them. And I assume there's another version and it's dark, right? And so in church world, it's like we're always kind of making these, these surface-level relationships where we have a hard time really connecting because in the back of our heads, when we're getting through our nice sayings and we're talking about our testimonies or these things, in the back of our heads, we go, man, if they only knew. I will never be able to actually connect because, because if they knew what I was going through, if they knew the sin that I was struggling in, if they knew the tragedy that I was walking through, if they knew the real me, then they, they wouldn't want to be around me because I know the real me and I don't want to be around me. And so this thing that we desperately desire, we have a hard time with. And it gets more difficult the more that we dive into scripture, right? We look in Genesis. We see the very beginning, we see the creation account. The one thing that God says isn't good is a man alone. We look through, we, we look in the beginning of Acts and we go, man, what did the early church look like? What is the first thing that thousands of people did when they followed Jesus? They came together and they shared things and they had intimate relationship. We look at what does Jesus say when he's challenged? What is the greatest commandment? He says, tied with loving God with everything within you is to love other people. So we mean, all over scripture, we see how it's handled with this, this one another idea, this relationship idea. We see that, that God it really cares about people and he wants us to be able to connect. And yet I struggle with connecting. And it's something that I really, really want. And when we look into Hebrews chapter 10 and we, we look at the passage that Connor read for us and we look in verse 15, we see this, that the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, right, he says, because this is true, because there is a forgiveness of sins, then this next part is now true. Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. We see this relationship that we so greatly desire is only possible through the gospel. The gospel has opened up a door of things, but one of the gifts of the gospel, one of the gifts of being forgiven of sin is that we can relate to one another and have a relationship that we would have never known apart from Jesus. Because the struggle is, is that apart from Jesus... 
when we live in sin, it separates us from other people. Sin will separate us from God, but it'll also separate us from other people because we'll always live in tension of hurting other people, of comparing ourselves to other people, of not forgiving other people when they mess up. But the gospel opens up the door for forgiveness for you and for that other person that you might be able to live in a real relationship with them that is forgiving, that points towards hope, that has accountability, that does as Galatians 6 says and carries each other's burdens. But the gospel, it opens up those doors for us. It opens up those doors, and I think that our relationships is God's intention through the gospel. It's not just like an option and a nice little benefit. It is a gift that the gospel gives us, and it should be the most beautiful thing in all of our communities, that our relationships are better than every other relationship apart from the gospel. We know this because you don't have to flip there, but in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is dealing with the church at Corinth, there's this really, really interesting moment where he's dealing with this guy, He's having an affair uh, with a family member and the church, it's public and the church almost glorifies it. It's like a high fives and butt slaps like the locker room. And he hears about this and Paul goes, oh my gosh, you're participating in a sin that is not only just messy for the church, it like even your culture does not accept the sin that you're living in. And so Paul does this weird thing. He says, expel the immoral brother. And we look at that and we go, whoa. This passage speaks to so many things in that moment in 1 Corinthians of, of church discipline and things of that sort. Where, where does grace and mercy land and also a world of justice? Why is the solution that Paul has here to remove him from the body? And it's this idea that Paul has that the community within the local church would be so beautiful and founded on Christ that when removed from it, it would speed up the repentance process that someone would so greatly miss the community that they had that they would walk with Jesus out of sin in order to find repentance and grace to live back in that community. That God is so enamored with community. He wants it so badly for his people and he wants us to experience and we want it too that it would look more beautiful than anything else that it would actually be able to call people out of sin. That the most compelling argument for the gospel of Jesus Christ for College Station and Brian would be the way that your community looks and the love that you have for one another, and the way that you can connect, and the way that you can talk about, you can confess sin, and you can talk about past hurts, and you can talk about tragedy without being okay with it, but also walking in confession and grace to move forward to a new hope. What's interesting, though, is here for the writer of Hebrews, he goes, do not neglect coming together. And we look at that and I go, why in the world would we neglect something that we so desperately want and that is so good? And in 2019, it's easier to neglect relationships and connection than like any other time in the face of history, especially within the church, because you can find better preaching and better worship experiences than you'll experience anywhere in College Station on the internet. And I know people who, when we graduated, their church experience was from their bed and television. And what happened is that when their marriage got on the rocks or when struggles happened, their entire church experience was on the TV and not in the person next to them in corporate worship. And it became difficult to deal with life. But the church is so much bigger than that. What God has for us is so much bigger than that. The gospel is so much bigger than that. The gospel doesn't just forgive us from sin so we can be in a relationship with God. It forgives us so we can walk into that relationship next to one another that we enter into the presence of God together. 
So why would we neglect this thing? The, the first thing is really easy. I've dealt with a few situations across ministry where uh, I, I deal with teenagers and sometimes they'll be dealing in a sin issue that becomes maybe known to their parents or, or becomes public. And one of the first things you do is you sit down and I say, hey, hey, I love you. And as we're walking in repentance, know this, whatever you do, don't leave the church. Because a lot of times it will happen in a family if something happens or there's a public situation, they don't want to be around the people that know about that or struggle with that and they can't put their Hobby Lobby face on anymore. And so they begin to back away, not immediately, but slowly. And I go, the worst thing that you can do is back out of the community that you're in and back out of what the gospel has called you into because sin wants to live in isolation. Don't create that for yourself. And so oftentimes when we're in sin or we're struggling with sin and we don't have somebody that we can connect with and we're not meeting together and we don't have a regular community that we trust, that we can confide in, that we can confess to, and our whole church experience is just worship and hand-raising and listening to preaching, then we forget what God has for us. And then when we begin to fall into sin or we struggle with sin or we struggle in tragedy, tragedy, we pull back into isolation. And if the most compelling argument to your community is the community that you have within the church, then Satan definitely wants you to live in isolation. So that way no one else will know the relationships that you know. But the second thing is this, and it's a little bit more discreet and it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, I ran in high school um, because when you look like me, you can't play Texas high school football, okay? It's not an option. So I ran cross country and track and I did that for a few years. And then uh, when I got to college, I kind of stopped running a little bit. It was like off and on. Everything was like, all right, this is, this is the moment that I get in shape. And one morning we're in the living room and I'm standing in front of the TV and my wife looks at me and she goes, I think you should start running again. And I'm like, wow, that message is loud and clear. Okay, love you too. Covenant, it's great. And so I go, okay, and I start working out. I start to kind of take it seriously and um, get kind of into it. And I'm like, you know what? I think, like if I'm going to do this, because in high school you've got like meets or like things to, guys are just competitive. We need like a gold. We never just want to, I just want to be fit. No, we want to beat somebody or we want to accomplish something. And so I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to run a marathon. I raced 5Ks all throughout high school. I used to work out every Sunday morning doing this distance. I need a new challenge. And so I'm going to train for a marathon. And so last Sunday in Fort Worth, I went and I ran my first marathon. And what an experience it was. I take off off the line and my AirPods die or not, they just don't sink to my watch from the start. First world problems, I know. But it's the worst, because in my head, I'm like, it's about to be a lot of hours in silence. And so I find kind of a pacing group of guys, and I'm like, I'll, just, I'll sneak in with them, and I'll go with them, and we'll run right along. And so we're jogging through, and we make it, you know, four miles, and six miles, and eight miles. And I'm that guy in the pack that's AirPods died, so I'm like striking up conversation, pulling up to one guy and go, hey, so what's your major? Right? Like, I'm like, let's, let's build a relationship, me and you, for the next 26 miles. It'll be great. And in about 10 miles, I'm feeling pretty good. And so I go, you know what? I don't need these chumps. I'm going for broke for the next 16 which is stupid because 16 miles is like a really long time. You should never go for broke with two hours left in your run. And so I start slowly kind of leaving my pack. And I feel great. And then I get through about mile 12. And I, I'm, I'm feeling good, but I'm alone. So I'm in silence. And it's like every mile is getting longer now at this point. I feel good through 14. I feel good through 16. At about 18, I'm like, all right, I'm like a little bit tired. I'm, I'm sore. And then about mile 20, it's like a train hit me and then threw it in reverse, which trains don't do. Um, but I like, did it again. Uh, that's not true. I don't know if trains can throw it in reverse. An engineer will find me after this and be like, well, actually, let me tell you about trains. <laughs> and for the next six miles, it was like just getting repeatedly punched in the face 
over and over again. And then about mile 24, I hear like a group of like three or four people just, and I look around and it's the pack that I left and they just obliterate me for the next two miles. They don't even like say anything nice. Like, hey man, you got it. I'm over here like, and they just come by and they're like, we know you shouldn't have left us. And I just move on by, right? What's interesting is I think that one of the reasons that sometimes we neglect to meet together isn't just necessarily when we're doing bad, but when we're doing really, really well. When we go, oh, I, don't, I don't need community, man. Quiet times and podcasts will get me through the next four years. Or we move after college and we go into a new city and we're like, I know Jesus and I know how to do Jesus things and I understand even the morality of Christianity. And so like, I'm fine in isolation. But here's the deal. You don't really know how badly you need a gospel-centered community until you need a gospel-centered community. You don't know what you had until it's not there and when you desperately need it. And then at that point, you've been so far out of community that you have no idea how to connect back in. I used to watch people all the time in my home church that would, they would leave and they'd go to a different church with, with bigger and better worship experiences, which is great, and that's fantastic they can do that. But the problem is, is they would always leave for the experience, and they would never find new community. And then when something happened and a family member died or, or they had to move or something was wrong with their kid, they didn't have anybody around them. They just had an experience and no relationships because they had neglected meeting together just to be able to see the best show. And that's not what church is. That's not what the body of Christ is. It's, not, it's at least not what Jesus meant it to be. I mean, our relationships become possible. When we fully follow Jesus, we believe in the gospel that he's given us. And they look better than any other relationship we'll ever experience. And they'll be beautiful to the people around us. And it's likely that someone won't come up to you and go, Hey, how's that Jacob guy? I heard he's great on Sunday mornings. But rather they'll see you and your friendships and your relationships. And that's when they'll begin to wonder about the gospel. Because they don't have it. Because they don't know Jesus. I remember the first time I began to understand what community was. I was a senior in high school in the town that I grew up in. I've been there forever. And um, in your senior year, right, like you got all these hopes and dreams, man. You are ticking. Like the way that we count uh, down the days or the hours for our rings, right, is like a senior in high school waiting till graduation because they've told themselves the lie, school's almost over. It's like, no, man, you got like 12 more years. <laughs> So you begin to get excited about what it's going to have. And, and I was running cross country. We had a pretty good team. And we, so we had like state championship hopes on the line and all this different stuff. And I mean, even like me, who, who really didn't care about like social things, because when you're in cross country, like you're not popular or cool. Shocking. Um, and so we, I remember even being like, maybe even prom will be fun. Who knows, man? I don't want to wear a tux, but that might even be a good time. I don't. Like you just have so many things around the right. It's like you become a new kid. There's a new world at your fingertips. And then about November of my senior year, my mom had been going to uh, doctor's visits and had been in the hospital kind of in and out because of a back pain that had been bothering her um, in July. And what's interesting is around the same time, me and a group of friends, uh, about eight or ten of us, we had started what we called an accountability group. It was kind of more like a fraternity um, we weren't like really into keeping each other accountable, but we were really into beating each other up after youth every night. Um, when I say beating each other up, you know who got beat up. Um, that's just the way it is. And some of us were like, we had like this holy endeavor. We're like, man, we're really going to try and follow Jesus together. Like we're gonna, we have no idea what it looks like, but we're going to try it. We're going to take a swing. And so we'd meet like every week after youth and we'd um, talk about like 
Jesus for two and a half minutes, um, and then we'd beat each other with couch cushions. And, and it was this weird thing, that, but we were like committed to it. This little weird dysfunctional community. Well, so at the same time that that's happening, all of this stuff is going on at home, and then hospital visits in Austin turn to hospital visits in Houston, and then it turns out that it's like Thanksgiving, Christmas time, and we have the discussion with my dad, who has talked with doctors, who begins to talk about how our mom has cancer. And we're like, well, that's weird. Because um, we're like pretty healthy family. It's not like the things that you see and the things that you expect and some of those things. And I remember sitting in that room and being like, that doesn't make sense. And so all of a sudden, our, our, you know, my last year of high school is starting to look different. And then around Christmas time, um, we find out my mom comes home from the hospital two days before Christmas, gets to spend it with us, and we have this the worst conversation in the history of conversations. And we're going to talk about how the cancer that she has, um, 0% of people have lived more than like 100 days. And I'm not like great at math, but I was like, that's not like awesome statistics. So we began to have this conversation, and the first time that I realized what community was like is all my life I had gotten to have this like casual following of Jesus and a great church and a great youth ministry where I could like kind of live in sin over here, but then also go to youth over here. And for the first time in my life, I remember sitting in a group of dudes and uh, who largely show no emotion until we're like 25, and we're sitting there, and you're trying to explain the concept of cancer and death and family dynamics. And it's like everything is breaking. And it was the first time that I had a real conversation with people that I had known for 12 years. And I remember thinking, 12 years. It took 12 years to build a community that we could sit together and have this conversation. And I never knew that I was going to need this community until I had it. But I'm thankful that I have it because... Outside of that, I had the locker room, I had a team and all this stuff, but the conversation that I had with the guys who were trying to follow Jesus was different than the conversation that I had anywhere else. Because it was centered on the gospel. Because even though there was mourning, we also could point to hope. We knew of a different future. The way we handled tragedy was different. The way that we related to one another, different. And, And it was one of those things that when I got married that even though we, some of us went to different colleges and things like that to explain to my wife of why guys that maybe hadn't been around that much during college were so important to me even now as we're getting married. And I was like, you just don't understand what we experienced at 18 in the community that it was. So much so that we would even be on our honeymoon in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and on our honeymoon, which is not when you're supposed to hang out with other people. I was like, hey, I've got a, my, my buddy from high school goes to school out here, and one night we're going to stop and hang out with him. She's like, I don't think that's what honeymoons are for. I'm like, you don't understand. You don't understand the community. There's there. Like, you don't understand that he sat in that room. Because even as, as high school students, maybe we were just so disciplined to say, hey, in the very least, we're going to meet together. And then later, when we, when we need it, we'll never know when we'll need it. But it'll be the gospel that gets us through. Those relationships are different than we're going to experience anywhere else. And as college students, as you're looking forward, and one day you're going to leave this place, the discipline to go and find a community, to dive into the tensions, to find a church, to find a group to meet with that loves Jesus is going to be hard and awkward and uncomfortable, but it's going to be the most beneficial thing in your life. I know that because as a staff person, when I left uh, College Station, I went and worked for a small church in the middle of nowhere. 
right? Some of you will go to Dallas, Houston, or Austin. You'll go to churches that have this thing called young adult ministry. And I went to a church that all they had was like senior adult ministry. Um, like my wife and I were the, the only people uh, that were in our 20s, and we were probably 15 years younger than the next person in the church, um, and then like 30 years younger than the next person from that. And we're working in youth ministry, and we're trying to figure out what in the world community looks like, and, and what does it look like to not just work here at this church, but to be a part of what it's doing. And so one of the things that we would do is every Sunday night, we would go over to a family's house, um, who was in their 60s and had a daughter in our youth ministry, and they would invite us over and they would cook a meal for us. And if you think being a broke college student is bad, try being a broke young adult. You will take those free meals. Incredible. And every Sunday night, we would, our best friends in our lives for two and a half years were 60-year-olds. But the grind of having a community and making a community and loving a community was so great that it didn't matter who it was. We just needed somebody else that loved Jesus. And you know what you need when you're a newlywed and you've only been married for a year or two? Not other newlyweds who don't know what they're doing. I mean, it's great. But you need someone who's been doing it for 30 years. That when you figure out how difficult marriage is and how all those things, I mean, you come to a new appreciation because there are other people there that go, hey, I know it's hard now, but you'll figure it out. You'll learn. Someone to go to that will understand those things and someone who loves Jesus and loves your family that won't give you terrible advice or take your side, but will enter into the gospel and love you. All of you. But we can't neglect coming together. And we can't take it casually. What we do in here is important. What you do in here is important. Even in worship, sitting next to someone studying the word, there's something more powerful about it than just being on your own. Standing next to someone, singing about God, a God that maybe even all week you've had trouble believing in because of what you're going through, is so much more powerful when you know the person next to you is struggling with you and knows your hurt and loves that Jesus too. As the band comes up, I want us to think about this. We can get so casual in our worship experiences, but, but to stand in a room and sing songs to God and about God isn't just something that's a nice benefit. It is a gift through the gospel that we could enter into the presence of God and that we could not do it alone, that we could be known and completely known, and we could know the person sitting next to us because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. I'm going to pray for us, and I'll worship with you guys. Thank you guys for having me this morning. I've really, really enjoyed it. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for community. God, how hard it would be to do Christianity alone. God, but sometimes, as is the habit of some, we neglect our community, or we look for community elsewhere. God, we don't see the importance of coming together, but it's, it's the most important thing that we do. God, the togetherness of Christianity is, is what makes it beautiful. That it's not just that I'm forgiven, it's that the person next to me is forgiven, and that we're experiencing that forgiveness together, and we're experiencing the presence of God together, and we're encouraging one another, and we're loving one another when it's easy and when it's hard. Father, this morning, we love you and we trust you. In just a minute, I pray. Amen.